Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, moms. How we doing? Hey, you guys made it. Uh, and most of you guys are pretty dry. Can we give a round of applause to those guys out there with the umbrellas? Because that was super nice. Uh, uh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Well, hey, uh, welcome. I'm excited that you guys are here. Uh, we're kicking off. Uh, we're in week two of our tradition series. We're looking at why we do what we do. And today we're going to talk about breaking bread. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and communion uh, and, and that is why there was quite the spread out in the lobby. I hope you guys got enough food to eat. Uh, and there's only one reason, all right, that we would go all out. We would not go all out like that for Father's Day. I'm sorry. It's Mother's Day, all right? So, hey, moms, we're so excited that you guys are here. Uh, I pray this service is a blessing for you. Uh, we're just excited to have you. Uh, before we dive into a whole bunch more of a part of our series, we just want to acknowledge everyone in the room today. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the room who are at a different place in their Mother's Day today. Um, I know some of you may be spending Mother's Day without mom today, and I know some people could be trying to become a mom, and it just hasn't come into fruition yet. Um, and there's a lot of other situations that just make Mother's Day a really challenging day. And so we want to push pause today and just let you know that we see you and we love you. And it's our prayer today that our service can just be a blessing for you and you can just have that exhale today um, and just have your cup filled. So. And so, and so in that same spirit, what we want to do is we just want to start the service with prayer. We just want to pray for all the, all the moms, all the ladies in here, and just pray that you would have a fantastic day, that God's goodness would be uh, tangible to you, that you would see it, that it would just come along. So let, let's pray. Uh, God, I just thank you for everybody that's here. I, I pray specifically for the moms, all the ladies in here, that, God, they would, they would see uh, how you've been faithful to them. And God, whatever season they're in, whether they're in, in a mountaintop or whether they're in a valley, God, that they could put their eyes on you and be thankful for who you are and what you've done. I pray that uh, they would be blessed today just by, by their family, by, by whoever is in contact with them. God, you would move in a powerful way. And God, you'd make yourself near to them, that they would feel your presence. And we pray that that would happen today in this service as well. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, the table, breaking bread together, feasting. Uh, and so, Kels, uh, and we're going to throw some questions back and forth at each other. So, Kels, what is, uh, why are we talking about feasting in the table on Mother's Day? So, mothers have a very unique gift of being able to welcome people into their home and create a safe and fun environment for them. Um, if you'll imagine with me that um, you know some college guy, he's living in a dorm, an apartment, um, what his, what's his apartment like? He probably has a TV on the floor. Um, he's got one singular chair, maybe it's a yard chair, a bag of chips next to it, and he's perfectly fine with that. He sees and, nothing and, wrong and with it. And a PlayStation, it. and a PlayStation. All right. Uh. We'll add one more thing to the list of things, but he sees nothing wrong with that. And then on the opposite hand, you've got um, a mother, an expectant mother who's about to have a baby, and she's going through the nesting phase. And um, that is where she's, feel, she's making her home feel like a comfortable, safe, inviting place for her upcoming baby. And so the reason we're talking about the table and feasting today on Mother's Day is because of the unique gift mothers have of inviting people into their homes and creating a safe environment for people, and that can be life-changing. That's good. I like that. Uh, so as we talk about the table and how, all right, this, it seems like moms in particular have a, an ability to, to invite others to, to make people come to the table. What's the power of the table? What would you say is the power of the table? 
So there's a lot of power at the table in general, um, but here's another example if you'll just continue to imagine with me, but um, think about the holidays. Everyone has got things going on. Um, they've got this event and this dinner and they're gonna go see family and do this and blah, blah, blah. And uh, you've got nothing. Your holiday plans are to go home, be alone, maybe watch some Netflix and go to bed early. And then somebody invites you to their special dinner, their event, and they bring you along with them. And where you once were feeling alone, now you've got fellowship and community. So when you feel like you're a part of the family with people is when you have a seat at the table. And there's a lot more power of the table that we'll unpack today, but I think it starts with finding your spot at the table. And then if you have a spot at the table, inviting others to be a part of your table. Yeah, that's good. That, that goes right into the next question I was gonna have is, uh, who has a seat at the table? So I really like this question because it sounds very simple, doesn't it? He said, who has a seat at the table? 98% of the people in here probably could have answered that question. Who has a seat at the table? Everyone. Everyone has a seat at the table, but I remember a time in my life that I just felt isolated, and we're not talking COVID isolation. I hate that we have to even think about that, but this is a season that I just didn't feel um, like I belonged anywhere. And I'm not a, there's a moth. He's trying to stay Hi, dry. Day. He's trying to stay dry and successful so far. Um, I'm not a very naturally confident person. I have a little bit of social anxiety that this moth is adding to. And um, I, I just don't have a lot of, um, I'm, not, I'm introverted, I'm not very outgoing. And so when you combine all of that with a season of isolation, um, it just makes you feel like you don't know where your table is at. Um, and when you're in isolation, the lies that you hear is that nobody wants you to be at their table. Um, and so to go back to your original question, who has a seat at the table? Everyone, everyone has a seat at the table. Um, and not everyone can fit around one table, but everyone should have a spot at the table. Those people that they can go to for love and for support. And if you're like me where I was once was, and you are in a season of just not knowing where, you're, where your people are at, your table are at, you've had to step away from some relationships or some fizzled out and you just feel like you're in this weird place. I, it's her prayer that you have found a seat at the table at refuge. Um, and you didn't know we were doing this today, but we're breaking bread together and you are at the imaginary table. And so today you have a seat at the table. And so who has a seat at the table? Everyone has a seat at the table. Yeah, that's good. I like that, dear. That's good. Uh, and so everybody has a seat at the table. All right, we're there. We're at the table. What, what happens at the table? What, what do we do? So normally at a table, you eat together. Um, that's the natural thing that happens, but there's something about breaking bread together and having your needs met. Um, when you go to somebody's house, you don't prepare the meal, you don't serve it, you, you receive it. And so when you are a hungry, hurting person, bread is love. Um, James talks about how you can't go up to somebody and say, be full and be warm, but you're not going to uh, clothe them or give them food. So it's one thing to pray for somebody, but it's an entirely different thing to, um, to feed them and to clothe them and to meet that need. So yes, we eat at the table together, but a bigger thing is that we break barriers at the table. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big deal. So uh, that goes right into my last question for you, right? There's 20 questions for me and Kels, but mm -hmm. why is eating together so important? 
why is eating together so important? So the concept of eating together comes straight from the Bible. I mean, you see lots of stories where Jesus goes to festivals and feasts and he shows up at their door and they break bread and eat together at the table. So all that can be found in God's word. But in Luke 14, we see the story of the wedding feast. And this is a, a great example of how Jesus um, serves other people by showing up at their house, sitting with them at the table, um, and sharing a meal. And so he used the table to create an intimacy um, to encourage and empower and transform lives. Um, I've recently started listening to these podcasts, um, and I will gladly talk to you after because I'm obsessed with them. But um, it's about the Jewish culture and how it is when we understand the Jewish culture, we understand the Bible a little bit better. And it talks about feasts in, um, in particular to the Jewish culture. And it talks about how feasts are a dedicated and sacred time. Um, it's a time where you get to remember, reimagine and retell of God's faithfulness in your life. Um, and I want you to think about a time that you are with your people where you are laughing super hard, you're doubled over, your face is red, you're about to pee your pants, your cup is totally full because you are with your people and you're, you're, you just have a lot of joy right now being with them. Um, and if you zoom out a little bit, what's in front of you? More often than not, it's the table. Um, it's at the table that you get to kind of take a load off. And things like laughter, get to be a protest to a really long day or a really long season. Um, so it's in those times that we, we see how Jesus used the table and it's an example of how we're, we're to use the table as well to, to reimagine, remember, and retell of God's faithfulness. Um, and like I said, I could go on and on and on about the table and feasting, but today we're making the connection between the table, eating together, breaking bread, and communion. So I'm gonna flip the switch and I'm gonna ask you some questions about communion. Uh, but I think a good place to start is what is the intersection of the table and communion? Yeah, so uh, if you think about communion, you go back to the very first communion that happens at the Last Supper. Uh, and so Jesus and the 12 disciples, they are celebrating the Passover. They're having a Passover meal. It was a feast, right? It's a time of, this goes back to the Jewish culture, a time of remembering how God had provided escape for the Jewish people from Egypt, right? They were, they were enslaved there, and they had an exodus from Egypt. That's the book of Exodus there. Uh, and so that first Passover uh, meal, I'm sorry, that the first Lord's Supper meal happens as they are celebrating the Passover, they had just broken bread, they had eaten an entire meal together. So the first time we see the Lord's Supper, it is by remembering the faithfulness of God, and they had celebrated with a big feast. That's why historically there's always been a connection between eating a meal prior to or immediately following the Lord's Supper. So there, there's a big connection there between communion and the breaking of bread corporately being with other people and remembering the faithfulness of God. So can you explain a little further what communion is? Yeah, yeah. So communion, uh, also referred to as the Lord's Supper, right? People call it different things. Uh, it's where followers of Jesus come together, drink some, all right? This is gonna vary on the situation you're in, some juice or some wine, all right? We got juice today, all right, if you were wondering. Uh, some juice or some wine, and they break some bread together uh, for the purpose of remembering 
Jesus' body that was broken for us and remembering his blood that was spilt for us. Communion is a symbol of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's, that's what communion is. So who has a seat at communion together? Who can take communion? Yeah, this, this is a good question because there's people that land on different places on this. Uh, but communion, all right, remembering what Jesus has done for you, it is for believers, all right? Uh, but what's amazing is that God desires everyone to follow him. So if you want to think about it, it's, it's a table that's invite only, uh, but everybody's got an invite, all right? It's pretty awesome. Uh, Jesus wants everyone to believe, and he has a seat ready for you. He wants you to be a part of the table. Uh, he's prepared a feast for you. All you got to do is accept his invite, and it will be a feast, a feast. Uh, I, we're, we're, I want you to picture this with me, all right? Uh, imagine you have a giant table in front of you. You got all your, your, your favorite people around you at this giant table. In front of you at this table is all of your favorite foods, all your favorite, your apps and desserts, right? You got appetizers, you got the dessert, you got everything that you love right in front of you. It is going to be a feast. You start eating and you keep going and you keep going and depending on who you are, you're gonna keep going even more, all right? You're gonna keep going, all right? But eventually, uh, what's gonna happen? You're gonna have to stop, right? And I think the question is, if you're at a feast and you're gonna eat as much as you can, you're eventually gonna stop uh, and why would we do that? It's got all of our favorites. We've got, like, you would finish, and there would still be more there. It's not because you stop, not because there isn't more food. You stop because that's all you can have. Like, you, you can't handle any more. Uh, just because you're done doesn't mean that there isn't more, that there isn't more food to be had. You don't stop because the food quit, the table's empty. You stop because you couldn't handle any more. When it comes to Jesus, at his table, in his presence, you might feel completely full. Like it couldn't get any better than this. And I want to just let you know that he has more. That Jesus has more for you than that everyone. He wants everyone to be a part of his family, to have a seat at his table. And he has so much for you. That even when you feel like you, could, you couldn't receive anymore, whether that's because your cup is full or because God couldn't love a person like you, I promise you, there is more of him to be had. He has more of you. It's a feast. You could never get all of it. There's always going to be more. I like that. Um, so why do we take communion together? Ooh, together. I like it. Um, uh, all right, side note. Who is, yeah, all right, if you go to your favorite restaurant, right, I, I like food, all right? We're talking about food a lot today. This is just good, all right? Hey, if I was going to go to Bad Brad's Barbecue, one of my favorite restaurants, Okay, one of my favorites. Uh, and I was going to get there, and I was going to eat. Um, I got to be honest. I would feel weird saying table for one. It just, I don't know. I wanna, I don't, I'm not going to go out to eat uh, alone all by myself. I would feel weird doing that. I, maybe maybe you're, you like to go out by yourself. That's good for you. But I want to be there, and I want to enjoy the table with someone else. So could you do communion alone? Uh, yes, you could, absolutely. But I think by doing it individually, uh, we miss out on some of the best stuff. Um, when we come to the table and we take communion together, which we're going to do here in a little bit, uh, we are saying that, that this family, uh, maybe not the family that has the same blood running through their veins, it's not the same one, but it's the blood of Jesus that ties us together. 
So we say, we come to the table, it's not this is my family because of blood, this is my family because of the blood that Jesus has spilled. And that's a powerful thing to unite us. Say that we're here together because of the blood of Jesus. And when it comes to a church family, we are always going to have differences. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Uh, there's someone you, some of you in here who are a little older, some of you in here who are a little younger. Uh, we come in all different shapes and sizes. We're all different. You got different views on raising kids. You got different views on uh, politics. You got different views on all kinds of, of different things, right? All kinds of preferences where, you know what, we just do not see eye to eye. Uh, next week, I'm going to wear a hat in service, and I know somebody who's going to be like, man, you know, I just don't know about a hat in here. I just don't have a hat in here. And that's okay. That is okay. Uh, because here's the deal. The world is so divisive. And what happens in the world is when people have a disagreement and they're at the table together, uh, what happens is the people at that table, when they disagree with the people they're with, they push that chair away. Like if we disagree about something, we push their chair away from the table. You don't have a seat at the table anymore because we don't agree. That's how the world operates. And I think what we got to understand is the church should be the exact opposite. The world says, hey, you disagree on one thing, you're out. You're going to get away from our table, and there's going to be a million little tables of, like, just a few people. It's a small little tribes. The church is supposed to be the exact opposite. We have one thing that unites us together. It's one thing. It's the cross of Jesus. That's what unites us. Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was spilt so that we could be saved. And we become a part of that family. We become a part of the family of Jesus. We have a seat at the table. We're knit together by Jesus. And when we have a disagreement, when we have everybody at the table, when that group of people has a disagreement, we don't push away from the table. You lean in. You don't focus on the things that, that we disagree about. You focus on the things that you do agree about. You don't divide, you don't go to a smaller table. You lean in, you stay where you're at, and you remember what unites us. We can disagree about a lot of things, but you fight for unity. We don't fight to be right. I think a lot of times that's how our world operates. We fight to be right because we want to look like I had the right answer. Now, as believers, we fight for unity because the cross of Jesus is bigger than anything else. And if we're going to let some of these other things distract us, we've got things out of whack. It's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. And we take communion together to remind us that Jesus and the cross, what he did for us on the cross, is the only thing that can unite, that can unite us. It's the only thing. And instead of like the world where those tables get smaller and smaller and there's more tribes and more tribes, uh, the table of Jesus just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as more people come a part of his family. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so what are the conditions or requirements of, of communion? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, there's a few things that it talks about, and maybe requirements or conditions that we see in Scripture. Right? Again, this whole series is about what God's Word says, not what me and, and Kelsey or anybody with a mic has to say. God's Word is the authority. I want to start with the biggest thing, that uh, the biggest takeaway we get from scripture uh, and it comes straight from Jesus said do this in remembrance of me Jesus said that as often as we partake in the Lord's Supper we must do it in memory of him and what he's done for us on the cross 
I want to make sure that it's, it's not a religious uh, ritual that we do. It's something that we do in memory of what he has done for us. It's, I think a lot of times it, it gets turned into this, we might not say it this way, but it feels like this religious ritual where we earn favor with God. And we can't earn favor with God. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for us. That's what makes us right. We have to remember Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, it goes on, and in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 27, it should pop up on the screen here. Uh, it, says, uh, it says this, because right after it talks about Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me, it says this, and this is talking specifically to uh, believers, right? Because this is, uh, communion is for believers. It says, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Again, that passage is written for believers. It's instructing them how to participate in the Lord's Supper. If someone isn't a believer uh, and they were to participate, it'd be like getting baptized before you're following Jesus, all right? You just got wet, all right? There's, there's no symbol there. There's no picture if you haven't received Jesus. It's the same way for communion. All right, if you're not a Jesus follower, you'd just be uh, eating a really bland cracker and some grape juice. There's no symbol there. But for those believers, it says that we don't want to eat that bread or drink that drink unworthily. It would make us guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And we don't want to do that. So it goes on in verse 28. It says, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. It's talking about believers that we need to examine ourselves before we participate in communion. We need to reflect on our lives. And if you hop down to verse 33 in that same passage, it says, so my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Wait for each other. So that's, that's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're getting ready to take communion and what we're gonna do, the first thing is we're gonna reflect and examine. You're not gonna reflect and examine somebody else. You're gonna reflect and examine yourself. How's my life? And when, once you've done that, once you've finished up with that, I'm gonna ask you guys to go grab the, the Lord's Supper, the communion elements. There's a table here, here, and in the back. If you will just go grab your cup of juice, your cup uh, of the little wafer, and bring it back to your seat. And we'll wait for everybody to get all those. And then together, together we will remember the cross. We will remember the price that Jesus paid for us. So right now, we want this to be a moment of examination, of looking at your life, uh, confessing, repenting sin to God, thanking God for his, his faithfulness, to look at your life and examine, does my life look like Jesus wants it to look. Not in a cold or mean-spirited way. Jesus wants the best for you. And when you come to him, he doesn't come to you with condemnation saying you should do better. No, he comes with you and says, I love you. We're in this together. You can do this. That's how he comes to you. So right now, for just for the next few moments, right where you're at, would you examine your life? See where you're at. 
And then when you're done examining and praying, go grab the elements and bring them back to your seat. So take a moment, pray, reflect right now. We will wait for each other. that's everybody I don't I don't want to rush we will gladly wait for everybody that's what it tells us to do in scripture let, let me pray for us before before we take these God we are just humbled with the love that you had for us the love that you showed us on the cross God that as your your body was broken your blood was spilt God it was our our sin that held you there that was the price we had to pay. And God, we couldn't pay it on our own. And you loved us enough to pay it. Help us to not forget that. God, help us to, to rest in you, God, to live lives that would honor you, that we would examine, that we would reflect. Are, are we living lives that are following you? That's what we want to do, God. Help us to live on mission for the kingdom, to not make it about us, but God, to live lives that faithfully follow you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you'll grab your cup with the bread in it. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, go ahead and grab that cup with the juice. That next pat verse says this, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. When we have a seat at the Jesus' table, we have everything that we need. When we have a seat at the Jesus' table, we have everything we need. Our small groups right now are doing a study on Psalm 23. And the first for their verse there talks about how when we have the good shepherd, we lack nothing. It goes on to say, that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. When we're at the table with Jesus, that is to say when we are a part of the family of Jesus, we don't ever have to walk away hungry. He will have everything we need. And today as we take communion, as we take the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder that he has already taken care of our greatest need. He's given us salvation. He's taken care of your biggest need. Let's remember that. We're gonna sing one last song. Let's, let's sing like people who believe that, that Jesus has taken care of our biggest need, that when we are with him, we lack nothing. Let's stand and sing one last song.